We are creatures of desire. What we most desire is meaning. What makes us suffer most is a lack of meaning. The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. Marital therapist, author, and communications trainer Andrew G. Marshall invites guests from all walks of life to discuss what makes life meaningful. Hello, I'm Andrew G. Marshall. Welcome to The Meaningful Life. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Podbeam, Amazon Music, and wherever you find your podcasts. How good are you at setting boundaries? It is one of the essential ingredients for a balanced relationship and a more joyful and empowered life. In my experience, over almost 40 years with clients, everyone knows how important boundaries are, but when it moves from theory to everyday reality, we tend to be a bit murkier on the concept. Now, the best way to understand your boundaries, become better at setting them and learn when to be flexible and when to hold firm is to practice, practice, practice. That's why I'm pleased to welcome my witness today, Crystal Mazzola-Wood, who is from Arizona, USA, and is a licensed marriage and family therapist and the founder of the Healthy Relationship Foundation. She is the author of a new book, Setting Boundaries, 100 Ways to Protect Yourself, Strengthen Your Relationships, and Build the Life You Want. So, Crystal, what in your own life prepared you to write a book about boundaries? <laughs> Thanks for that question, Andrew. Uh, how much time do you have? Uh, just kidding. So um, my first couple books are about codependency. So I'm personally in recovery for codependency. There's numerous symptoms of codependency, but most simply it's about people-pleasing where you give up yourself in your relationships because you have so much anxiety around being not good enough that you don't set boundaries. You don't have a sense of self. And so through my recovery work around codependency, people-pleasing, I realized that setting boundaries was the most important skill to practice to become an interdependent, securely attached person. Because boundaries allow you to develop a greater sense of self because they differentiate you from other people. And they allow you to have more intimate relationships. You don't have an intimate relationship with people when you're people-pleasing. You're not showing up as your authentic self. And so through my understanding of codependency and through my recovery work, which I really started, you know, this journey because I had a lot of complex childhood trauma. I mean, complex trauma from childhood, which led to my codependency. I grew up in an alcoholic home that's where you have to walk on eggshells. You don't get to be your authentic self. You know, I was told all the time not to air dirty laundry. So at school, I performed. I made sure to be a top student and was terrified of people finding out the truth of what was going on in my alcoholic abusive home. And that led to me really losing my sense of self, which is what led me to codependency and therefore my codependency recovery work. So I think we get a pretty clear idea about from that really how deep the problems of boundaries go, because it really starts right from the very beginning. Because as in a sense, when we arrive in the world, we have no boundaries, do we? We're actually physically attached to our mother. They have to cut the cord. And you know we're learning right from the very beginning, where do I end and where does my mother or my carer begin? So this is really deep and profound work. And it's not just for people who are people pleasers. It's actually for everybody, isn't it? Absolutely. I've never met a human being that doesn't have some 
type of boundary concern because you can be people pleasing, you know, not having boundaries, or you can be more walled off, which you struggle to show up vulnerably and have close intimate relationships. And, you know, boundary issues can show up in any area of our life, our work, our friends, our family. And therefore it's incredibly pervasive and common because growing up, most of us on some level weren't role modeled, completely secure, flexible, healthy boundaries. So let's sort of start off because you start in exactly the same place I start when I'm talking about boundaries and I get people to visualize their boundaries. So help us visualize our boundaries. Oh, this is my favorite. So this is an exercise that you're referencing that's in my book. And it really simply starts with the first you can close your eyes or lower your eyelids. And you want to make sure that both feet are firmly on the ground. You want to feel that sense of connection with the earth, feel more grounded, notice your seat in the chair. And then you want to imagine that you have a marker of any color in your hand. You can pick your favorite color, a color that pops in. There's no right or wrong. And you want to imagine drawing a circle around you on the ground. And from that circle, a band of light starts to grow up from the ground and just an inch up, kind of right over your feet into your ankles. And you take a deep breath and you're going to pull that band of light up to your knees and to the back of your seat. So it's all the way around you, just about maybe a couple feet up off the ground. And then with another deep breath, you're going to pull that band of light up to your chest, to the base of your throat, to the bottom of your neck, over your back. And then with another deep breath, you're going to pull that band of light over your head over the back of your head and connecting over the crown. So it should be a complete bubble of light that you're in. It could be the color of the marker you chose, or it could be a different color, but you want to make sure that this bubble is completely secure. If there's any gaps in your boundaries, no problem. You might want to figure out how to fill it in though. You know, it it could be cotton, silk, crystals, whatever makes sense to you. You want to make sure it's completely secure all the way around you. And in this bubble of light, we can notice our sense of separation from other people. Sometimes this, or often it feels really comforting and safe and peaceful for people who begin to visualize their boundaries. But it's also common for people to feel nervous or scared or unsure when they start to develop this bubble around them. And I often ask people to imagine what is your boundary made of? Is it a brick wall? Is it a piece of fabric? Does it protect you really well, but let nobody in? Or do you have no boundaries and anybody can come in and steal all your goodies, so to speak? And how high is it? Because you want to be able to see over the top of it, but you don't want it to be so low that you know somebody can stab you in the heart, so to speak. And I think as we go through the day, our boundaries change, don't they? Absolutely. You know, I use the term secure yet flexible because if I slept well, I might wake up and I might have more to give. I might be able to be more authentically generous with the people in my life. But then if I had a really stressful work meeting, the commute was really hard, I might need more of my energy for myself. So that bubble might kind of come in more. And so I might have less bandwidth for the people in my life. You know, if my best friend calls and wants to talk about a problem, I might not be able to give her the attention or support that she would want from me. And so I'm going to need to take some self-care time before I try to show up for other people. So I think one of the things that's really important is you have to have a good connection with your own body. Can you explain why that is? 
Oh, absolutely. This is one of the things that I know to be true about this work, which is we know what our boundaries are and our limits are and our needs are when we really tap into our body. Deep down with our intuition, our gut knowing, we know what we need from other people. We know what our limits are. And so we really need to learn how to breathe into our body, tap into that awareness. Oftentimes it comes from the gut or our heart that will know what our limits and needs are. A lot of times people try to figure out their boundaries from an analytical, logical, mind-based place, but often Uh that doesn't work. (laughs) Because, right, what your boundaries might be, Andrew, and logically it might make sense to me, they could be completely different for me. And that's that's the way boundaries work. They're unique, they're personal, they're authentic. And so it's my own body that will tell me that. So what do healthy boundaries look like then? Because if we've never experienced them, we're not going to know. Absolutely. So with the bubble visualization, we definitely want to remember that we are a separate human being from all other people. Oftentimes with boundary issues, as you described with like kind of the brick wall, we can either be too distant from other people, which creates a lot of loneliness, isolation, lack of intimacy, or we could be too, sorry. I was going to say that what often happens if we've got high boundaries is we have to deal with our partner banging on the boundaries all the time and saying, speak to me, tell me what's going on, which isn't very nice for either the person who's doing the knocking or the person who's you know forever having somebody knocking on their door, so to speak. Absolutely. It's really painful on both sides of that because the person behind the brick wall did that to feel safe. And so they're going, see, it's not safe to be close to other people. Now I have to retreat even more. I'm being suffocated. I'm trapped, whatever that may be. But the person who's banging on the wall, of course, they want connection with their partner. That makes sense. But the more they you know, bang on the wall, the more their partner withdraws and it becomes this really painful cycle. And so we don't want to be walled off. We don't want to be too, as we talked about, having no boundaries, letting anyone in to do anything. So healthy boundaries are secure. They're firm. It's that bubble that we keep around us at all times. I don't want to be a mesh with other people. Like oftentimes with boundary issues, when you don't have them, you get this sense of wanting to be one with another person, wanting to merge with them. And so we need to remember we're separate. But we also need to remember that we're in relationships with other people. And so other people are going to need things from us. I like to think of it as a Venn diagram. Because it's really difficult because often our society sort of really venerates love in the sort of pop song way of, I don't want to quote the Spice Girls, but I am to become one. You know, that moment where we celebrate this, you know, you are everything to me sort of kind of moment. And that's fine for pop songs, but not quite so good for life, is it? No, absolutely not. I remember when I was really in my own codependency, which manifested mostly in romantic relationships, I came across something that said, if you're two halves, you actually mathematically, you become even less, you become a quarter. And, you know, if it's two holes, then you can experience that expansiveness in your life. You, it becomes that too. So give me an example from your own experience of an early time you set a good boundary for the first time so we can really see what that looks like and how it felt. Well, when I think back, I've been on this journey for a long time of developing secure boundaries. One of the earliest memories that come to mind for me is in my 20s. I also had a very codependent relationship with my mother. She had me as a teenager So Mm. she really kind of saw me as her friend, her support. I really, at age eight, I remember vividly thinking, okay, now I'm more mature than my mom. 
and I have to take the lead. Um, well, she really, and my mother wouldn't be offended if I, if she heard me saying this, but she really took the role of almost the child in her own marriage. And so I kind of, you know, realized like, oh, I need to be the one who's paying attention. And again, as I said, it was an alcoholic home. And so my mom would really personalize my own accomplishments and my own body. My mom saw me as an extension of herself. You know, my mom, you know, grew up in California. She had the fantasy of the California girl with the blonde hair, the blue eyes, which she didn't have, but I had. So she was always trying to modify me to become Barbie, quote unquote. And my body is, I have a curvier body. I have never been obsessed about my weight typically because I really love learning. It's just not where my values were. And so she was always commenting on my body, whether it was smaller, whether it's bigger, every time I saw her. And I remember vividly telling her in my 20s, my body is not for you to discuss. Whether I'm smaller or I'm bigger, it really hurts me. And it can trigger some unhealthy coping strategies for me. Because my reaction was always to Benji when she would comment on my body as a reaction that she couldn't control me. And so when I set that boundary, that was really life-changing for me. Mm. And it sounds so easy saying it now, but it must have been really difficult at the time. I, I can imagine your heart beating 10 to the dozen. Yeah, I'm actually feeling anxious just remembering that experience because it caused so much pain and I felt so confused for so long about it. And when I set that boundary, I had to keep repeating it with her because it took her a long time to respect it. <laughs> I got a lot of practice. We're going to do a little exercise later where we're going to talk about how to keep setting the boundaries. But before we start keep setting the boundaries, let's set it for the first time. So how do we express our outer boundaries to other people? Absolutely. That's a great question. And in my book, I talk about a really simple script. A lot of times when we're anxious about setting a boundary, we overcomplicate it. We say too much, we justify it, we give excuses or reasons. We want to keep it really simple, like one to three sentences max. We really want to be clear on what the need is, what I'm asking from you. If possible, we can let them know what they're going to get if they give to us. Like, you know, a really simple example with parent-child. If you do the dishes when you get home from school, then you can go hang out with your friends for a couple hours before you have to go to bed. You know, clear. And so we really want to express that need very clearly, tell the other person what they get if they give to us, if possible. But we don't want to over justify it, give excuses. Very simple. Yeah. So skip the fact that, you know, I'm really concerned about you and that some of your friends are bad influences. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you need to get to bed at seven o'clock or oh, not seven o'clock, nine o'clock. Otherwise, you'd be too tired for school the next day. I mean, you don't need to do the full Gettysburg address, do you? In fact, it dilutes your message and makes it really hard for the other person to hear you clearly. It activates defensiveness it makes it harder to get your needs met. And then you might walk away thinking, see, no one respects me, when really you were unclear and it was unhelpful for the other person. So here is our golden rule. You don't have to justify your boundaries. They're just your boundaries. You don't have to justify them. Isn't that a beautiful sentence? It's amazing that no is a complete sentence, that you don't have to give excuses. It's incredibly liberating when you get to that point. So I think we're talking about something called assertiveness here, aren't we? So let's explain assertiveness. 
Okay, absolutely. So you're referring to that there's different styles of communication and assertiveness is the goal form of communication, which is where we clearly and respectfully communicate our needs, our limits, our feelings, our perspectives, where we respect where the other person's coming from, where we're not going to dominate them, but we also are respecting where we're coming from, where we're not going to be too passive. So how does this look in action then? Oh, there's so many different examples of it. That's why I giggled. But it could be as simple as I notice that the last few nights you have walked away after dinner instead of helping me clean up. I would really appreciate it if we could do clean up after dinner together. And what I normally find when it comes to a sort of a little bit of conflict, because, you know, let's imagine this thing, I don't want to help with the dishes because to be honest, you know, I've just come back from seeing six hours worth of clients and I'm absolutely exhausted and I can't be bothered to do the dishes. We could do them in the morning as far as I'm concerned. So we have a bit of a conflict. Do you want them done now? I don't care. So what often happens is one person does the bending. So how do we deal with that, particularly if you're the person that normally does the bending? I'm so glad you brought this up because it comes up all the time where one person will have a need and the other person says, but I don't care about that. So why should I be expected to contribute? And so such a common dilemma. And so the goal here is to always negotiate because we want to be respectful to ourselves, but also respectful to the other person. Just because I like waking up to a clean kitchen doesn't mean the other person's obligated to take care of it. And so we could negotiate. It could look like many different things. Like, okay, I'll put the food away after dinner and I'll wipe down the counters, but could you please load the dishwasher before, and I'll you know, soak the dishes, but could you please load the dishwasher in the morning before work? It could look like that. It could look like, okay, I hear you. I really don't want to wake up to dirty dishes. That really gives me anxiety. And so is it possible that you could contribute more to the cooking or the grocery shopping? I always say that assertiveness is this sentence. I can ask, you can say no, and we can negotiate. And you've got to have all three of them. You can't just ask. The person has to be able to say no, and you have to move to negotiation. Absolutely. Beautiful formula. So there is a bit of a problem with all of this, because often when somebody gets a no, they don't accept the no. They just try and make you feel really guilty that you're a terrible person, that you are a cleanless fanatic, for example, and you're making their life a misery because they're following you around with a dustpan and brush all the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That happens all the time. Are you feeling guilty? <laughs> Am I? <laughs> I, I? I grew up in an Italian-American home, so I know, and we were raised Catholic, so know a lot about the guilt trips. <laughs> I can't guilt you. You've been guilted by the experts. <laughs> so I am, I have become an expert in managing guilt trips, but it happens all the time. And that's why we have to have that bubble up because just because you're giving me the energy of a guilt trip doesn't mean I'm obligated to wear it and take it on. Mm. When you're guilting me, you're trying to get your own needs met through me in an inappropriate way. So you can just let it bounce off your shield, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, If they want to do the guilt trip, you don't have to actually buy into it. Yeah, Absolutely. With the bubble, sometimes I like to do this practice with clients where I will give them different statements where I'm throwing different energy at them. 
And they get to decide if they're going to bring it into their bubble. If it's like a yes, I'm pulling that into my bubble, I agree. Or a no, I'm pushing that out. Sometimes we're going to verbalize that no or that yes to other people, but other times we're just kind of saying, no, I'm not going to take that guilt trip. We're saying that in our own mind, and then we're responding in the way that we need. So however well you put your boundaries, people will disregard them. And I think the biggest problem people have is with the pushback, they escalate too quickly. So we need to sort of work through the different stages. And you have some beautiful examples in your book. In this role play we're going to do, you're going to be a daughter and I'm going to be a mother who wants to know all about your dating and how your date went. And I mean, to be perfectly honest, why you're not married yet, but of course I wouldn't say that. (laughs) Perfect. So I'm the mother and Crystal is the daughter. So I'm going to Basically, imagine that there is a boundary that Crystal has set up saying she doesn't want to talk to me about her dates. So she phones me up and I say, oh, how did that date with the man in banking go? I know it was six months ago, but I just wondered if there'd been any developments. Mom, I really appreciate your curiosity. I totally understand. And I've let you know that I don't want to talk to you about my dating life and that I will let you know when there's something important to update you about. So thank you for respecting that. So this was a sort of first offence, gentle, just remind them sort of kind of thing. Or actually probably knowing this mother, it would have been about the third or fourth, but we're still at the the gentle stage. Beginning, yes. So this mother, I'm afraid, is going to up the ante a little bit. So I'm going to go on a guilt trip. Let's see if Crystal can validate herself. I know you don't want me to ask, but I only do it because I love you and I'm worried about you. Mom, I really appreciate that you're worried about me. And I am safe. I am happy. That is the most important thing. And I'm going to ask you again to respect my boundaries. I hear that you want to know, but I'm not comfortable discussing those things. So that's beautiful. She validated her own stance, which I think is useful for you and also is going to hopefully work on your mother. But sorry, she's a bit sneakier than that. I saw this article in the paper about how dating is more difficult over 30. Shall I send it to you? (laughs) Mom, I'm really not interested in that article. I am navigating my own dating life in the way that feels comfortable to me. I've let you know repeatedly, I don't want to talk to you about dating. When you keep bringing this up, this shows me that you're not willing to respect my limits. It makes me not want to talk to you, to be honest, like or to talk to you less. So I really hope that you can be more respectful moving forward. And I think on this one, this mother would have learned her lesson, but it's difficult because you know she's going to backtrack. So here comes the next one. I saw Julia. You remember her from school, from the corner house, Julia Simmons that was. I saw her with her two children. She's doing really well. She sends her best. She's getting sneakier, isn't she? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that when you gave that comment, I, you know, I'm kind of stepping aside. When you have secure boundaries, just because mom's saying, look at this other person who's married with kids. If you're in a place where you are secure with how you're building your own life, you don't need to take that energy in. So I just wanted to say that as an aside, because that's wonderful, mom. I'm so glad that she's doing well, you could just say. Mm. But if, you know, 
bearing in mind you've been dealing with this for the last 30 years, you probably, she knows where to stick the knife in. And so you are going to be affected. So, you know, what's the next step up of saying, back off, mum? Mom, I think you're bringing her up with her children to highlight that she's happily married and has a family and that her mom is a grandma. And I understand where you're coming from, but I'm going to end this conversation now because I've let you know repeatedly, this is not an area of discussion that I'm open to. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Yep. So how was that? I mean, honestly, just role-playing it, I feel really empowered. Good. And I think it shows that you don't have to go in hard straight away, because I think the temptation is to go straight for number four option straight away. And I think what I loved in your book was the way that you gradually built it up, because that's respectful to the other person. And, you know, they've had a lifetime not respecting boundaries. They're not going to get it first time. So we don't need to escalate straight away, but we've got to be firm and we've got to stick the course. And I think it was really good that you give us the full course. Thank you. So one of the things that makes it difficult for people to maintain boundaries is catastrophizing. So what is catastrophizing and how does it actually stop us from keeping good boundaries? So catastrophizing is a cognitive distortion, basically a thinking mistake. This is a way of thinking. It comes from cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's a way of thinking that gets in our own way. So catastrophizing is the distortion that the worst case scenario will happen, that it's a certainty, highly probable, when in actuality, the worst case scenario is probably not statistically the likely, most likely outcome. But it's where we think about the worst case scenario and we kind of imagine our future reality from that state. And how does that make it harder to set boundaries? Oh, because the most common thing is if I set a boundary, they'll hate me, they'll leave, I'll burden them, I'll make things too hard for them. We really think that if I set a boundary, it'll destroy the relationship. That's typically the way catastrophizing works with around boundary setting. So how do you challenge your catastrophizing? You want to think about what are other likely outcomes, what are even possible outcomes. So maybe they won't hate me, but maybe they'll be uncomfortable and they'll need some time and space to think about it. Maybe they will respect my boundary. Maybe they'll say, thank you so much for letting me know. Maybe they'll, you know, pull away for longer than a couple of days, but then they'll come back to me and we'll have a better relationship than ever before. So there's all these other outcomes that are possible besides the worst case scenario. So we really want to think about those other neutral or even positive possibilities. So we've talked a lot about boundaries with other people. Let's talk about our own boundaries with ourselves and our own actions, because Time and boundaries is really important, isn't it? How do we set time boundaries? Mm -hmm. So with ourself, we need to set boundaries. We often think about boundaries as only being an external thing, but we need to set limits with ourselves to be a safe person for ourselves. And time is arguably our most precious resource. And a lot of ways we have boundary issues around time is we leak it. We give it away to other people. We feel like there's never enough time for the things that we really value. And therefore, we need to start setting limits with ourselves to build the life that we most want. So making choices around what we say no to, what we say yes to around our schedule. So an example of setting boundaries around time that it's very common is needing to leave work on time and so that you can have a whole life outside of work. 
instead of, you know, answering emails at home, getting not even, uh, you know, getting compensated for your energy and your time, hurting your relationships because you're distracted. That's such a common one that I like to start with as an example. So some advice on setting boundaries around work then. Right, because time impacts every aspect. So with work, when I was thinking about boundaries around work, I liked to think about it from a financial perspective. And I have exercises around this in my chapter around work, where if I give up six hours more a week, than I'm being compensated for. How much is my true wage? What am I, I'm selling myself short. So I like to think about it from a financial perspective. I also think though that boundaries around work there, it really ties a lot into self-worth. You know, we have a lot of messages around our worth being connected to our productivity. And so we need to set limits around feeling like our worth is connected to how much we produce, how much we give up, setting limits around this idea that we can finish the tasks in front of us. Because for most jobs, for most people, there's always going to be more work. So we need to set limits around this idea that just one more task and I'll be caught up. We need to live kind of in that gray place where we leave, you know, certain projects, but we do the things that are most important. Yes, I remember my father towards the end of his life was always saying, you know, I've just got to get on top of the paperwork. You know, I've just got to get that admin done and that will be good. And I thought, you're never going to get that paperwork sorted out. You're never, ever going to get to the end of it. It's a never ending task. So don't judge how your life is going by how far you're getting through your paper. But that is our tendency to do, isn't it? We sort of feel good because we've got only 300 emails in our inbox to answer because we've actually processed all the other ones. Absolutely. And that's why this work is really connected to our self-worth. And sometimes you have to set boundaries, for example, around feeling like I'm good enough because I you know, answered those 300 emails. Sometimes we have to set boundaries before we feel ready. You know, it takes a lot of courage to set boundaries. I might not feel like I'm worth, you know, turning off my emails, deleting the app on my phone when I go home, turning off those notifications. But maybe I do it anyway, because I'm tired of not paying attention to my kids when I come home. We have to really think about our priorities. I mean, another boundary is sort of things like food and alcohol and all of those sort of kind of things, because you open the packet of crisps and you have just one or two, and then you have three or four, and you know before you know you're halfway down the packet. This is setting boundaries as well, isn't it? It really is, because setting boundaries with ourselves is about being a safe person for ourselves. And so, you know, looking at our priorities and our values, thinking about why wouldn't you want to eat the whole bag of chips? You know, perhaps you know maybe I value health. I feel sluggish afterwards. I can't do anything. I I'm irritable. That's always my experience after fried food. I become irritable, so it's harder for me to be present with other people. So think about your values, why you wouldn't want to, and then really be honest with yourself. Like absolutely, you can have a bag of chips, but maybe you're gonna spend more money on buying just you know the small bags. So that, you know, once you finish it, you're done or, you know, only having it when you go out versus buying it at home. Just little things you can do where you can still be flexible with yourself. We don't want to be too rigid with ourselves. That doesn't work. But really thinking about our values and where we can be kind, but also set limits. So where else is it important to set boundaries? 
it really does impact every aspect of our lives. I think that you're talking about around our body. I think that one of the most important places we need to set boundaries is around our self-care, around making sure that we take, I mean, in my book, I talk about even five minutes every single day for ourselves, even less. You know, if you have to leave a glass of water on your nightstand and drink it right when you wake up, set that boundary with yourself. A lot of times I find that people are highly anxious, exhausted, depressed, fatigued, moody, all these things simply because they're not restoring their physical body. Our physical body's needs are not negotiable. We need sleep. We need water. We need nourishment. And so that's an incredibly important place to set boundaries with yourself and others to ensure you get that time. So let's say you're going to go to bed at 11 o'clock and everybody wants to keep you for that little bit longer. How do you set that boundary? Yes. So let's say your you know, partner loves staying up with you, watching movies. You could let them know in advance. I really need to start going to bed at 11. That ensures that I get enough sleep for the next day so that I feel well rested. I really like your support on this. Maybe we could you know, set a set movie night so, and that, you know, we st- make sure we start by 8 p.m. so that we are done together. Um, so you can communicate that in advance. When they push on that boundary, you can validate. I'd love that you want to spend more time with me, but I need to go to sleep. And you like guilt is going to come up when you set boundaries. A lot of people think like, I can't set a boundary until I don't feel guilty about it. It's like, no, you probably will. You'll probably feel bad that your partner wants to hang out with you still. But do it anyway, because you will be a better partner when you get enough sleep. And I think this is another one of our goals and statements. It's okay to say no. Yes. Repeat it many, many times. Because afterwards you can negotiate because I can't do this, but I can do this. Exactly. Exactly. So in a moment, we're going to look at boundaries in action because we've got a really difficult issue to look deep into. And that's coming in just a moment. The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and visit our website, andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcast, where you can join our supporters club and unlock bonus material and other benefits. If you'd like to participate in the program and send in a letter, you can go to my website, www.andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcasts. There you'll find somewhere to participate in the program. So send me a letter. And you can also sign up for my newsletter because every two weeks I send a hopeful and interesting article. So uh, please do sign up for that as well. And here is the letter that I've chosen to discuss with Crystal. We've been married 25 years, and due to recession and depression, we had drifted intimately. Three months ago, my husband confessed to a friendship he was having. He said it wasn't intimate, but was heading that way. Naturally, I thought midlife crisis and tried to intervene. It took a few weeks for the truth to emerge, and in fact it turned out to be a three and a half year intimate relationship, and they were in love. He said he'd wanted to protect me from the truth. I had accepted my role in why the affair started and felt we were doing really well recovering. I then discovered that they were continuing contact by phone and message. Things spiraled out of control, the intense questioning by me and the fact that she was continuing to text every day took its toll. 
He moved out a couple of times and swung back and forth. I met with the other woman in the hope that she would back away and let us heal. She said she would if I didn't get in the way of them being friends. He is back home and says it's where he wants to be, but he doesn't want to hurt her. They were in the process of starting up what was to become a very successful business venture together. My husband is very driven and we're now at the stage where he has told her that it's me and his family he wants, but he's prepared to continue the business venture with her. I'm a soft soul, stay-at-home mum and would not want to stop anyone from pursuing their chosen career. I told my husband my concern and that my boundaries would be pushed beyond my limits. He has become withdrawn and I've become anxious. So shall we count the ways that boundaries have been violated here? First, thank you so much for sharing that with me and for the honesty in that letter. I just want to validate for that writer that this is an incredibly painful and confusing situation and it makes sense why she's anxious. It completely makes sense. Yes, I think anxious on steroids to be perfectly right. There are so many boundaries here that have been violated and have been violated over and over again. What help can you give her with boundaries? Thank you. This is, as I said, a complex situation. But the first thing I would want to say is that the reason that she's anxious is because this isn't a safe situation. Her husband's not acting as a safe person for her. He has lied to her about the relationship. The affair was going on for three and a half years. Now he has continued this friendship. Both her and her husband have talked about how they want to continue. And so he's prioritizing this friendship or this supposed business venture over repairing the marriage. And so in no way is he acting as a safe person for her. So of course she feels anxious, unsafe. So if somebody is not a safe person for you, how do you protect yourself and create boundaries to stop yourself being, I'm going to say hurt, but actually I think possibly destroyed? Yes. So if someone's not a safe person for you, there are numerous avenues that you can take. So in the case of this letter writer, I would say that the first case, you know, option is to really contemplate her own needs and limits. I hear that she's a stay-at-home mom and she's a soft soul. And so first, I would like to just say that a lot of times with boundary issues, we tend to over-empathize with the other person and ignore giving ourselves empathy. So I'd really encourage her to think about how she's hurting in this relationship, how this is painful for her versus just thinking about what her husband wants and this other woman wants with this friendship and this business venture. So really validating herself, giving herself some empathy. I also, she's in a financially dependent situation as a stay-at-home mom. And that concerns me as well, that, that she doesn't have that sense of safety financially. So what might her limits be? Well, if I'm reading between the lines of her letter, of course, she would probably want her husband to focus on the marriage, focus on repairing that not be putting his energy into the friendship right now with this other woman or the business venture. She has the right to, you know, it, it sounds like they have the expectation of monogamy in their marriage and she has the right to need him to focus on repairing their marriage first. You know, couples therapy is a good option here before trying to see how he could possibly have a friendship or business with this other woman. 
So I'm thinking time limits, first of all. I mean, I don't think this woman should be allowed to send texts all the time that he's answering. I don't think she should be allowed to pierce the house, so to speak, because when he's sitting there and he's answering emails, she's coming into their house effectively. That's a great point. And you give a wonderful example of how she doesn't need to leave like she doesn't need to exit this marriage and be filing for divorce, you know, at this point, but she can start setting smaller boundaries like, hey, I really need the two of you to schedule your phone conversations. Please no back and forth texting because one moment you're talking to me, the next you're back in it with her. And of course that triggers me. I would, I mean, this is, would be my boundary. I would say, you know, when the, when you come home, mobile phones stay in your pocket and if you do need to do any work, you go into your office and, you know, it's not at the dinner table. I'm not seeing you around the house. The only place that you can answer work emails is in your office and no sneaky disappearing into the loo to check emails and things like that or texts. So there is a clear boundary there and I can feel safe that you're not at any moment going to pick up the phone. And, you know, it might be your mother who wants to know uh, if you can pick up her dry cleaning, but it also might be the other woman asking you what time the meeting is tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. Wonderful examples. Even if even if it is just a business thing rather than blowing you a late night kiss, it is still an infringement of your time. Work, I'm sorry, this is terribly old-fashioned, work belongs during work hours. And how many, how many of these things really have to be answered now and can't be answered during work hours? Absolutely, which is why when you read that question to me, my alarm started going off about the, the potential reality of this so-called business venture or friendship. So at the moment, I think we're saying no to the friendship, the business relationship we're on the fence on. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They can actually have a business relationship. Personally, I doubt it, but we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So this is what I want. I want the phone in your pocket, only answered in your office in the house. Now, can I lay that down? Because my concern is that under these circumstances, because it hurts so much, somebody lays down the law. The partner says yes, because, you know, generally people who have affairs are not very good at saying no. So he says, yes, of course I won't do that. And then immediately five minutes later breaks it. So you've got your desire for a boundary. How do you start to begin to negotiate that with your partner? Mm -hmm. It's really the similar skills that we were already talking about. I really need you to be focused on our marriage when you're home. You're saying that that's what you want. So I'm going to ask you to not let your business with her come into our home life. I really need you to be focused on the work, you know, in your office. And when it's time for you to be home with me, I really need you to focus on that time. And so you can just really clearly say that the needs that you have. And I think you do have to ask them, you know, are you prepared to sign up for that? Absolutely. Does that work for you? Are you willing to meet my needs? And if the answer is no, what do you do then? Well, I will say first that in that situation, that would be incredibly painful. 
but it'd also be a relief to be clearly told the reality in this situation because I hear there's so much back and forth. And so in that situation, if it's a no, then it's really about figuring out what you can and can't live with. Yeah. And I think I'm feeling that, you know, I can't live with that if I'm playing the wife at this particular point. So I'm going to, I mean, every bone in my body doesn't want to say this, but I'm sort of feeling I have to say, you need to leave the house until you can do that. Absolutely. If you can't live with that, then to be a safe person for yourself, you need to express that limit. So I think we need some self-care advice as well here. Yes. I Again, this is such a painful and confusing situation. And when someone is in a situation like this, there's so much confusion and back and forth. They are doubting the other person. They're doubting themselves. They're trying to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. And so for her self-care, I'd really encourage her to take time. She doesn't need to make any decisions yet, but to take time to journal her thoughts and feelings. If she can find a person that she can be open with, a lot of times in such situations, people are really embarrassed to be open and vulnerable with the people in their lives. But if she has a close friend that she can share the reality of the situation with, I think that that is an incredible form of self-care right now. If not a friend, perhaps a therapist. And to really just give her time and space to figure out her own needs and wants and feelings and to learn how to validate them, which means I understand why I'm really anxious in this situation. There's a lot of lack of clarity. I'm getting mixed messages. Of course, I feel anxious. So listen to yourself, take care of yourself, and we send all our love to you as well. So thank you very much for sharing that. So we're getting close to the end of our interview, I'm afraid, where there'll be bonus material for people who um, subscribe to The Meaningful Life. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But before we finish this segment, I have to ask you, Crystal, as a guest on The Meaningful Life and my witness today, what makes your life meaningful? That's a wonderful question. And I want to say first, I'm so grateful to live a life of meaning to have created my life to be deeply meaningful. My marriage makes my life deeply meaningful. I wanted to be on the adventure of a lifetime, which I perceived as intimacy. And I get to have that with him, my husband, my pets, my writing. I love writing and working with clients. To be able to help people heal is profoundly meaningful for me and have a positive ripple effect on the world. So one of the interesting things that I found in the book that I'm going to discuss further with Crystal is how to address your resentment, because we've talked a lot about how your boundaries can be implicated. So how do you address your resentment and maintain good boundaries rather than just letting all of your resentments sneak out? So if you want to hear that bonus material, you can subscribe directly via Apple or Spotify. We're also available on Amazon Music. And if you want to become a supporter of The Meaningful Life and unlock the bonus material this way, here are the details. You've been listening to The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. You can follow Andrew on Twitter, like him on Facebook, and please leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts. Making, editing, and distributing The Meaningful Life comes with substantial costs, and we'd like to ask for your help. Visit our website, andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcast, where you can join our supporters club and unlock bonus material for every program, send in a letter to be discussed by Andrew and his guests, and join a community of other people seeking to make their life meaningful. 
At the gold level, you get even more benefits. Production of The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall is by Michael Dooney. Social media by Madeleine Healy. Sound engineering and theme tune by Sebastian de la Luz Mendoza. And I'm Susie Collick. Please tell your friends and spread the word. Thank you.